Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. I received an email from a friend in Beijing earlier this week about how his days are consumed with finding non-perishable food in preparation for a possible lockdown. He signed off the email with the line, we're undergoing an unbelievable time in Chinese history. My friend told me of the three daily COVID tests required and that certain neighbourhoods in Beijing were already in lockdown. Beijing has since stepped up coronavirus restrictions after reporting 41 cases last Sunday. The new wave of controls is the latest sign that China's leadership is committed to their heavy-handed zero-COVID policy. This despite indications that the policy is causing huge economic damage, both within the country and internationally. In late March of this year, Shanghai, the richest city in the world's second largest economy, went into what was supposed to be a temporary lockdown. By early April, 28 million people were confined to their homes and Shanghai was effectively closed for business. The Orwellian images were difficult to ignore, robots patrolling the city with loudspeakers blaring directives for COVID tests throughout the day. At night, people were taking to their balconies to shout in protest at the lack of essential supplies. Drones flew through the city, blaring messages like, please comply with COVID restrictions and control your soul's desire for freedom. As the rest of the world is emerging from the pandemic two years after its onset, it's surprising to see what's happening in China. Economists are warning that the economic shock from these lockdowns could be more severe than the shock that came in the aftermath of the Wuhan outbreak two years ago. This is because of Shanghai's importance in global trade and manufacturing. If three months ago someone had told you that within weeks the citizens of Shanghai would be running around looking for food on a daily basis, you probably wouldn't have believed them. If this can happen in a city as wealthy, cosmopolitan and economically important as Shanghai, what does it tell us about the overall situation in China? This is both a humanitarian crisis and an economic crisis. The rising pressures are already eroding confidence in Beijing's ambitions of reaching growth of 5.5% this year, its lowest target in 30 years. The investment bank Nomura estimates that 344 million people, or a quarter of the country's population, are currently under some kind of lockdown restrictions. Chinese authorities have limited movement within the country to reduce the spread of the virus, meaning that vital logistics routes that connect buyers and suppliers within the country are no longer functioning, leaving factories without crucial components for manufacturing. Farmers in the northeast China Plain, one of the major grain-producing areas of China, are cooped up during what is normally the spring planting season, and many factories, shops and restaurants across the country have been forced to suspend their operations. Reduced grain production in China, when combined with the slashed production in Ukraine, is very worrying to say the least. 
the IMF has cut its GDP growth forecast for China to 4.4% for the full year from the 8.1% they had predicted last year. On top of this, nationwide consumption in China fell 3.5% in March, while spending on restaurants plummeted 16%, according to official data, suggesting that anti-COVID controls are slowing an economy already suffering from real estate market problems. The zero-COVID policy has taken a great toll on the lives and finances of regular Chinese citizens. More than 4.5 million small businesses closed in 2020, and even more are estimated to have closed in 2021. As Chinese citizens deal with their third year of COVID, many have drained their savings to a point where they need to curtail their spending. The government's solution of weakening the currency to help manufacturers also raises the cost of living for Chinese citizens, weakening domestic consumption, something that China needs more of, not less of, if it's to grow sustainably. Due to the global nature of trade, the severe disruptions happening in China can be expected to have a global impact and continue through the rest of the year as backlogged cargo vessels start sailing again. China accounts for around 12% of global trade, and COVID restrictions have idled factories and warehouses, slowed truck deliveries, and exacerbated container log jams. The lockdowns present another challenge for global supply chains that have been stressed by both pandemic shutdowns and the war in Ukraine. This has led to greater competition for available goods, pushing up prices which has been fueling inflation worldwide. While there's been a lot of talk of the need to hike interest rates to combat inflation, an increase in interest rates will do nothing to combat inflation that's caused by these trade disruptions. Okay, so what's wrong in China? Well, at the center of this problem is the fact that the Omicron variant of COVID-19 is much more transmissible than the prior variants were, and Sinovac, China's homegrown vaccine, doesn't appear to protect very well against it. Sinovac appears to be less effective at preventing death from COVID among the elderly than the internationally developed mRNA vaccines, particularly for people who received less than the three shots that are required. The early success of China's zero COVID strategy ensured that deaths in the country were in the low thousands compared to more than a million deaths in the United States, which was a genuine triumph. But this success possibly created a false sense of security in China, and today more than 130 million people in China aged 60 and above are either unvaccinated or have had less than the necessary three doses, which according to a University of Hong Kong study puts them in much greater danger of developing severe COVID symptoms or dying if they contract the virus. So while Omicron appears to be less fatal in the rest of the world, that might not be the case in China. And Chinese officials are terrified that if they open up like the rest of the world has, millions of citizens could die. National pride has also prevented China from approving foreign mRNA vaccines for use amongst its people, leaving them to take the less effective vaccines developed by domestic companies. Beijing has been urging the development of homegrown mRNA vaccines, two of which have now entered clinical trials. 
The stakes right now are very high for President Xi, who aims to take an unprecedented third term as the head of the CCP later this year. His carefully cultivated image as a strong and competent leader could be badly tarnished if the government loses control of COVID or blunders into an economic crisis while trying to contain it. Right now, Beijing has a stark choice to either start a mass vaccination program using possibly foreign mRNA vaccines or sustain the ruinous economic and social costs of continued lockdowns. At the moment, it looks like they're doubling down on the strategy, which used to work but no longer appears to be working. While some Western governments possibly mishandled their initial response to COVID-19 through a laissez-faire approach, she and the Communist Party suffer from the opposite problem. Because extreme government control worked initially, their instinct is to respond to the spread of Omicron by more extreme lockdowns when dealing with this more contagious variant. The Chinese government does not get to claim legitimacy through the results of elections. Instead, government officials in China argue that the Communist Party draws its legitimacy from its performance. The claim is that the Chinese government has outperformed Western governments because of the superiority of their socialist system with Chinese characteristics. President Xi himself has made this argument at a ceremony in 2020, claiming that the success of China's zero-COVID policy proves the superiority of the Chinese style of government. The extreme lockdowns that we're seeing reflects a government dogmatically committed to its zero-COVID policy of preventing any community spread of the coronavirus, even as the contagiousness of the Omicron variant renders such a policy basically unworkable. So why are they doing this? Well, if you'd looked at the Chinese approach going back to Wuhan in early 2020, six months ago or even more recently, you would have said that this worked for China. The country had the surveillance tools in place to keep track of people and to enforce contact tracing and lockdowns in ways that wouldn't be accepted by society in other parts of the world. The problem with this approach is that it downplayed the need to vaccinate vulnerable populations, especially the elderly. And national pride meant that the government would rather get by using a homegrown vaccine that underperformed rather than lose face by importing a foreign drug. Once they were far enough down this track, it became difficult to switch direction and move to a living with COVID type of strategy that you see elsewhere in the world because you have this vast vulnerable population who have not been vaccinated at all in many cases. Now, while these extended lockdowns are doing great damage to the Chinese economy, the economic harm is much more global. Apple, Coca-Cola, General Electric and Pernod Ricard are amongst the biggest companies to have warned this week of the threat from spreading lockdowns in China with many more blaming the strict measures for higher costs, shortfalls in their latest results, and their more cautious outlooks. Companies from Amazon to Archer Daniels Midland have noted that obtaining goods from China by ship or air freight now costs significantly more and takes longer due to restrictions at Chinese ports and disruptions to internal train and trucking logistics within the country. 
Wait times for vessels arriving in Shanghai to dock in port have shot up from 12 hours to two days since the start of the city's lockdown. The economic damage comes right as the global economy is dealing with the consequences of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has sent energy prices soaring, made certain industrial commodities less available, and prompted the IMF this month to cut its global growth forecasts. Multinational firms are dealing not just with strains on supply chains, but additionally with a slowdown in demand within China. Now, the Chinese government has made efforts to keep the economy going. In Shanghai, the local authorities have selected certain companies in key industries, such as automobiles and semiconductor manufacturing, to restart production. But the vast majority of businesses still remain closed. Chinese authorities have been trying to keep factories and ports operating by keeping workers on the premises in so-called closed-loop systems. Some factories in Shanghai, such as Tesla and some of its suppliers, have resumed production, but they have to follow complicated and expensive rules, including instituting a system where workers live on-site and are tested regularly for the virus. Not many companies are able to do this as they lack the capacity to provide accommodation for all of their employees on site. Rules like this are especially difficult for smaller businesses, which could fold, causing job losses, leaving former employees unable to pay their mortgages. This could exacerbate the problems being seen in the real estate market in China. In the short run, the logjams will mean more problems for global merchandise trade, which slumped in 2020 and rebounded last year. Longer term, we might see bigger changes in the global economy, which has grown more and more interconnected in recent decades due to increases in international trade. For some corporate executives, moving production closer to home is no longer a patriotic political slogan. It's become a business necessity given all the uncertainty. Key policymakers are coming around to the idea that a sea change in the developed world's supply lines might be necessary. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen calls her idea for more resilient trade linkages friendshoring, a not-so-subtle jab at China and Russia. Whether this shift can happen or not depends largely on whether the pandemic has convinced consumers to accept higher prices for products made closer to home. According to a report from the consulting firm Carney, 78% of CEOs are either considering reshoring or have already done so. The report argues that while globalization will never die, it may evolve to a different form. Companies have weathered the roughest bouts of supply turmoil over the past year partially by raising prices, and consumers have largely accepted this. Tesla lost about a month of work during the Shanghai shutdown. Bed Bath & Beyond earlier this month announced an abnormally high level of inventory was in transit, unavailable or held at ports through the early part of this quarter. Alcoa, the aluminium manufacturer, last week blamed transport problems for higher inventories. Continental, Europe's second largest maker of auto parts, 
lowered its growth forecast for the global production of passenger cars and light commercial vehicles to a range of 4% to 6% from the previous forecast of 6% to 9%. Volkswagen, the world's second largest electric vehicle manufacturer, announced yesterday that they've sold out of battery-powered vehicles in the US and Europe for this year as persistent supply chain bottlenecks hit global production. The head of the Shenzhen Cross-Border E-Commerce Association, an organization representing some 3,000 Chinese exporters, told the press last week that even though a lockdown in Shenzhen lasted only a week, many sellers are suffering about a one-month delivery delay due to the logistics problems that the lockdown caused. Christine Lagarde, the president of the ECB, in a speech last week said that Europe's integration into global value chains was even deeper than the US's. She pointed out that trade as a share of the euro area's GDP rose to 54% in 2019 from 31% 20 years ago, compared with America's 3 percentage point rise to 26%. She cited a recent survey that found 46% of German companies get significant inputs from China. Of those, almost half are planning to reduce that dependency. Russia's invasion additionally means the search for the lowest cost suppliers must be refocused around geopolitical alliances. We must work towards making trade safer in these unpredictable times while also leveraging our regional strength, according to Lagarde. Even industries that are not considered strategic are likely to anticipate the fracturing of the global trading order and adjust themselves, she said. President Xi speaking at a meeting of the Central Committee for Financial and Economic Affairs called for efforts to boost infrastructure investment last week, implying that the Chinese government will continue to lean on their favourite stimulus tool rather than capitulating on zero COVID or the property sector crackdown. China can't lock down, hit its growth target and stop buying growth with debt all at the same time. Confronted with China's worst economic conditions and outlook since at least the start of the pandemic, policymakers have so far presented only modest easing measures, possibly because stimulus measures would have rather limited effectiveness, especially in regions brought to a standstill due to COVID lockdowns. It'll be interesting to see if they continue on in this direction or change strategy sometime soon. Have a great day and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.